Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Hello, I'm your host, Dave Swinford. This episode was a hard episode to put together because it not only brings to light that we have been misled and lied to about AIDS and HIV for 40 years, but also, once you know the truth, you realize all the lives that have been destroyed and all the lives that were not necessarily lost for what? For academic fame? For financial rewards? For power? For the appearance of compassion? So my red pill moment in this journey of discovery first occurred while reading the book The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert Kennedy. Now, the first 200 pages or so discuss COVID-19 and all those issues surrounding the censorship of alternative treatments like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, the lies about the vaccines, and Anthony Fauci's part in all of that. But it also pointed out that all this censorship and sponsorship of risky and potential harmful treatments had been done before during the AIDS crisis. There are plenty of alternate opinions on AIDS, but just like on the COVID treatment issue, those voices have been routinely suppressed, denigrated, and essentially canceled. Now, as I dug around on the internet, I found many older articles and videos archived at places like virusmyth.com, the Perth Group, and many, many more places if you go looking. And I found that there's always been a large group of well-credentialed scientists that have questioned the established AIDS, HIV, dogma. Now, I was fortunate to be joined on this episode with Dr. David Rasnick. Dr. Rasnick is one of those AIDS, HIV dissenting voices that's mentioned in the real Anthony Fauci book. In fact, it turns out that he was one of the editors of the book. Um, so if you really want to know all the details and the particulars of the AIDS, HIV hypothesis slash dogma, you're going to have to read the book or you're going to have to review some of the online materials because it's too diverse and too complex to put into an, an hour podcast. I'll put a link to my Substack in the show notes where you can download this intro, get more information from the link pages, and if you subscribe to my Substack channel, it's a great way to get notified of new content and to post comments, rebuttals, or just yell and scream at everyone. So in this episode, you'll be hearing a discussion between myself and Dr. Rasnick about the book, about the AIDS HIV dogma, and all of its parallels to the current COVID situation. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Dr. David Rasnick. Dr. Rasnick, thanks for joining us today. Um, if you will, tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what your connection is to the HIV AIDS debate. Well, Dave, it's a pleasure to be with you. There's two Daves here. I hope we don't get the audience too confused <laughs> about that. Uh, we're both Southerners and everything. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I have a PhD. I actually have three degrees from Georgia Tech. Uh, before we went on live, we talked about Georgia Tech a little bit. Uh, I got a, a, a BS in biology, a BS in chemistry, and a PhD in chemistry in 1978. And uh, I was one of two brand new PhDs that was hired by Abbott Laboratory in 1978 to set up the diagnostics division, uh, uh, set up the chemistry group in the diagnostics division at Abbott there. And uh, I learned a lot about clinical diagnostics and that sort of thing while I, while I was at Abbott. And then I had uh, left there in 1980, moved to California and started my first little biotech company 
And I've had uh, a number of them over the years, but the one I had the longest was about 10 years. And uh, that was in the 1980s. I moved from Chicago, North Chicago, Illinois, to the San Francisco Bay Area in September of 1980. And uh, within, oh, I don't know, sometime towards the end of that year, early 81, uh, that's when the AIDS stuff started uh, popping up in the in the news. I don't know if it's mainstream media or whatever, but certainly in the in the scientific world. And it didn't even have a name at that time. Uh, once a month, uh, there'd be a, a seminar at University of California at San Francisco. It would be some of the biotech company uh, scientists would go there, academic scientists, academics. Uh, uh, different, I don't know they what levels, all, all different levels. And there might be anywhere from I don't know, 15, 25 of us there once a month to go uh, hear a seminar. But then after it was over with, we'd go out uh, to a Chinese restaurant. It's always, it seems like it was always the same Chinese restaurant. We didn't care. It was a great place. And that's really, I think, why most of us went was to go to the Chinese restaurant. That's where we talked about stuff. Uh, about what we were working on, shared experiences, up the occasional collaboration. And uh, then lo and behold, early on, early 80s is when we first, I first learned about it, uh, this AIDS stuff. Uh, it wasn't called AIDS then. And then right. it soon was called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. That wasn't politically correct enough, so they changed it to acquired immune deficiency syndrome to AIDS. And, um, you know, it was a big mystery. And all of us, regardless of whatever we're working on, I, I had, uh, I was working on arthritis, emphysema, parasites, and cancer, and uh, uh, tissue-destroying diseases. Other people working on various things. There was a range of stuff that we're working on, but we always got around to talking about AIDS because it was such a mystery, right. uh, uh, you know. And we were all curious about it. And we went about our work for a few years, and then finally at a press conference, April 23rd, 1984, it was the last year of, of uh, Reagan's first term in office, and they were concerned that the Democrats might make AIDS a campaign issue. Uh, so the Department of Health and Human Services uh, Secretary, Margaret Heckler, uh, held a press conference and brought out Robert Gallo from the National Cancer Institute. And basically, they said they uh, Robert uh, Gallo had discovered the probable cause of AIDS, one of his viruses called a retrovirus. Very next day, they dropped the word probable. Gallo had already filed a patent on the antibody test for this and all that kind of stuff. The press conference uh, served its original uh, job in that the Democrats did not make AIDS in 1984, did not make AIDS a campaign issue. But unfortunately, uh, you know, Robert Gallo, not Robert Gallo, uh, Anthony Fauci was made director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in uh, November of 1984, not long after, you know, the press conference. Right. And uh, so he took over from there. And uh, basically, if you really, uh, there's a new book out by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. called The Real Anthony Fauci, goes into a great amount of detail on this. Uh, it's already sold a million copies, and I highly urge anybody who's interested in this AIDS stuff, the COVID stuff, it's all in that book. It's a big book. It's got 2,200 references in it. Yeah, and, everything. And, I, 
it's huge, and I was one of the editors of it, and I was very proud to be one of them. Many of them, many people helped with that book. I don't know how many, but you know, you see what's all in that book. You realize right. there are a lot of people that helped on that thing. And so I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about that because it's in that book. And maybe if people get interested and curious, they'll go out and uh, uh, lay their hands on that book and spread the word. Uh, but anyway, uh, getting back to my story. Uh, and uh, after that press conference here, I'm a chemist, you know, and I made inhibitors for those tissue destroying diseases. And uh, so I knew that viruses typically from my studying I'm, I'm not a virologist but uh, I had you know had access to lots of experts people who weren't uh, protease people like me and chemists you know they'd come that's how we had these collaborations people are experts in this area but they need somebody expert in this other area that's how we form these collaborations right. and um, so uh, I was I knew how to make these inhibitors and uh, a virologist friend I asked I said what kind of protease a protease is an enzyme that that cuts proteins. Uh, it's the, one of the largest, probably maybe even the largest class of enzymes uh, in the genome. I'm not certain about that, but they're certainly one of the largest. And uh, they're involved in every aspect of life from conception through everything you do in your life to death and decomposition and everything else. These very, very, uh, very useful enzymes that are involved in all sorts of things. And uh, the virologist said, uh, and I asked him what type of protease, there's four different families of proteases. They're like Chevrolet's, uh, Mercedes-Benz. Once you know the class of what you're working with, then, then, you, then you can actually start designing inhibitors for these things. And he said these uh, uh, retroviruses have what's called an aspartyl protease. So immediately I knew what the active site looked like. Uh, the, the jaws, the machinery, the active site. And I started designing inhibitors for that thing, hoping to, you know, uh, find the cure, invent the cure for AIDS. And of course, everybody else was using their own expertise to try to jump on that bandwagon one way or another. Uh, but I only had, in my little company, there were only three chemists in my company at the time. And when I left uh, Abbott in 1980, uh, there were at least 20 chemists. I, a friend of mine there, a chemist there, had 20 chemists at least working on aspartyl protease inhibitors for a human aspartyl protease thing for hypertension. And I realized there's no way I could compete with him. I, I, I guessed he probably already had 2,000 different molecules made, aspartyl protease inhibitors. And so I dropped the project. But I'm still interested in, in AIDS. I just couldn't compete with this guy. Right. And about 10 years later at a Gordon Research Conference, uh, I asked a guy at Abbott, I said, how many aspartyl protease inhibitors did you guys have in 1984? He said 3,000. <laughs> I underestimated by 1,000. <laughs> you know? And, of course, Abbott was one of the very first to get FDA approval uh, as a protease inhibitor for HIV uh, uh, back in the 90s, I think it was. And uh, so, anyway, that's fine. That's, that's the that's how I got involved in that stuff, and I kept following it. Uh, but at that uh, that press conference, of course, this became uh, government dogma. I didn't know it at the time, but it is this is still the dogma that applies today that our government set on April 23, 1984, that AIDS is contagious. It started in Africa. It's sexually transmitted. Uh, it's incurable. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, th those things are are still there. In other words, it's not curable. 
sexually transmitted, caused by a retrovirus, started in Africa, you know, and uh, uh, that led to this horrible, horrible thing. That, and, and worst of all, uh, none of it is true. That right. dogma, every aspect of that dogma, I learned in the 80s, late 80s, and confirmed it ever since then, was a lie. Not one of those things is true. And, um, and But I started getting wind of that uh, around 1985, 80, certainly 87, I, I realized it was all, it was all phony, it's a hoax. Uh, but the, thing, the interesting thing, the interesting thing that I always point out to people, it was, nine, it was 1985, I believe it was 85, could have been early 86, when uh, I started having doubts about this whole thing because uh, uh, it didn't behave anything like a contagious disease. Right. It, it, you know, it, uh, the, the symptoms that the gay, the gay men got, Kaposi sarcoma, that sort of thing, and other things. There's, there's almost 30 different age-defining diseases. And it, it depended on whether you were gay or straight or an IV drug user or you were an African, what symptoms you had that, that uh, were AIDS symptoms. And, and I kept playing this thing, you know, there's no infectious disease in the world that knows whether you're gay or straight, white or black, <laughs> rich or poor, or what zip code you live in. Right. So I started bringing this point up, with, you know, at those weekly, uh, uh, monthly meetings with my colleagues there uh, that uh, in, the, in the Bay Area. And, no, and the thing that got me started on this thing really, really got me going, the so-called red pill moment, was when these people... That, that I had been talking with, friendly, collaborating with for several years, all of a sudden would not talk to me. Mm. And I raised these little points that I'm bringing up right now. You right. Know, wouldn't, wouldn't say a word. I lost uh, collaboration. I lost friendships. And the most productive collaboration I had was, uh, was with uh, uh, parasitologists. He and I, were, our, work, our collaboration was really, really productive, and we didn't want to lose that. So we mutually agreed that I would not talk, that we would not talk about AIDS, you know, <laughs> to keep to keep that going. Now, now, now listen, think about that. Think about that, especially in the context with COVID these days, how right. people cannot talk about stuff. All right. Oh yeah. My that's why I, I realized as soon as my friend um, John Rappaport called me on the phone February of 2020 to tell me about this latest. Uh, coronavirus thing, you know, we had the first SARS, the MERS, and all this other hogwash, HIV, Zika, and all that, all those other bogus, phony things o over the decades. And I said, John, you know, I don't want to, I've been doing all this stuff for all these decades. I don't want to get another one of these things. It'll go away anyway, right. just like the other ones did. But then uh, really quickly, I realized, I, I said, no, I said, no, I, I'm in, I'm in full time. I have been since February of 2020. What made me in is that whenever in history has the whole world agreed to do the same thing at the same time and use the exact same language and the same treatments, right? It's like, well, that's even, even before they had that, this was right. February, they didn't right. have, February, 2020, they didn't have treatments. They weren't talking about vaccine. They were talking about anything. They were just talking about this bogus coronavirus plague or pandemic, you know? Right. And, and I knew, I knew that was hogwash. And all the other stuff would follow. Of course, I knew what was coming. Anthony Fauci was still in charge. So I knew that criminal was, was going to be sp spearheading this thing like he did all the other bogus attempts at pandemics and plagues since he took over the NIAID in uh, November 1984. 
And then, but it wasn't just limited to gay men or IV drug users and stuff like that. You know, now everybody in the world, doesn't matter who you were, you know, uh, your life's at risk and all your freedoms are just going to have to be set aside because this is such a horrible thing we're going to do the world. You know, that, that it's like a flash in my mind. Uh, uh, and, I, and then that's when I told John, I'm in it. You know, I'm in it full time and I have been since February of 2020. And uh, so all of those details, I've, there's decades of stuff in there that I crammed in there without the details because it's just too much. We can go into particulars uh, uh, if you want. Like I say, most of it is in Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. So I've been talking for a long time. I should give you an opportunity <laughs> to say something. Well my, well, my red pill moment in this was really I read that book. My cousin, who's a retired uh, cardiovascular surgeon, he said, I'm sending you a book. You need to read it. It's important. I'm like, okay. So he, he sends me this book. And it's, I mean, it's people who haven't seen the book. It's, it's wall-to-wall words. I mean, the words go from edge to edge, top to bottom. Yeah. There's, no, there's hardly any margins. It's 400 pages, really dense. Lots of references, and and you know I I understood the COVID arguments and and had seen all that, and then I read the part about the AIDS, um, you know, all the AIDS and HIV and the vaccines, and I was like, holy cow! You know, I'd, I'd always kind of I always knew there was some. It wasn't it wasn't like they said it was, but I didn't I didn't know the history, and I never really paid any attention to it because it, you know, I just. In 40 years, I still have yet to meet someone with HIV or AIDS. Yeah. At all. Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. And 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 I knew it was a little bit overblown. Um, back in the early 90s, there was an article in our local paper said, AIDS is ravaging North Alabama. And I asked my coworkers, I'm like, you know what back at AIDS? I'm like, no. I'm like, me either. I've never met anybody. This is like 93. And so... I called the local health department and said, how many people have AIDS? Well, we don't really know. You know, there's, there's probably a lot that, lot that have it that, that, that's hidden and we don't know. I said, well, how many do you have on the record right now that, and it was like two, right? And it's a county of three, <laughs> 300,000 people and they had two. <laughs> and so I was watching a coworker who was struggling with multiple sclerosis and he was deteriorating. And so I called the local MS Society said, how many people do you have in North Alabama that have MS? And they're like, 120. I'm like, yeah, this is not an epidemic. This is not, you know. So that was my first first thing. And then I just kind of forgot about it because, I mean, you know. Right. Don't, yeah. You know, it's not something that you worry about, right? And it's like, yeah, right. whatever. And yeah. then I saw this book. And then I, after I saw read that book, then I went and read some of Celia Farber's. I read her book and I read some of yeah. her writing. And then I, you know, got on virusmyth.com and read all those old articles that you guys yeah. have been putting this stuff out there for years. Decades. Yeah, for decades. And basically, because nobody wanted to either admit it or put it out in, you know, in the broader spectrum of ABC, CBS, whatever, it just kind of sat there. So not for lack of trying. Right, right. So I, I guess, you know, just just kind of walk through this so that listeners yeah. that, that haven't read the book that don't really, you know, and, it, and you can get yeah. I know we can go down the technical rabbit hole and we could be lost forever. And everybody. Yeah, and it, 
it's not even essential to this. This has nothing to do with medicine or health or technology other than how technology is being abused. Right. But, yeah, I, I can give, uh, so, you know, I, I thought I was pretty much done with this whole stuff until, again, John Rappaport uh, uh, called me on the phone. And then really quickly, all of us old, ancient uh, HIV people, journalists, physicians, scientists, lawyers, uh, activists, uh, you know, that were about to go out to pasture. <laughs> I'm retired and everything. You know? right. But we were in demand. All of a sudden, when a few people, you, you know, Kennedy, uh, Fulmich, uh, God, I forget how many people I have talked to over the past two years. I've been Zooms and radios and all kinds of stuff. Celia Farber's back in full Full right. force, John Rappaport writes every day, you know, and, and and all this stuff. And it's because, aha, you know, they found out that there's a bunch of people out there that have been fighting this battle for decades. Only difference is now it's global. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and that's why, you know, we have this huge uh, bit of information, not a bit, mountains of information to share with people. But I found out, you know, all of the scientists, people that were on this stuff, are now learning from like uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, Fulmich, Kennedy, uh, tons and tons of other people uh, of things that we didn't know, right. <laughs> you know, uh, that were out there. And it all fits in. There's all common common features to all of this stuff. And, and, and that is really, really, it's an exciting, it's a scary thing, but it's also very uh, exciting. Finally, this very sick, sick world that uh, we probably either we knew we were in a sick world or didn't know it or, or whatever, but we found out we've had a serious malignancy for decades that we didn't know about. Right. And 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 now the symptoms are showing uh, loss of freedom, free speech, and and, and all of that. And uh, one of the uh, I tell people, you know, I first experienced this with the AIDS stuff. I said the only good thing that I have encountered. From all of this are the absolutely wonderful, extraordinary people that you get to know that you would have never known otherwise had you not been involved in the fight. Right. Uh, you know, and I've made so many friends. All of us have made so many friends that we didn't even know existed, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, from all different statures and, and things like that. And so it started. I mean, the, the stuff that Fauci's been doing, everything he's doing now. Uh, that is to, to control this this pandemic, he developed during the the AIDS era, during the AIDS scare, all the infrastructure right. that is in place now, that is in place now from the, the CDC, from the FDA, the National Institutes of Health, the WHO, and all that kind of stuff, was put in the place during the 80s and 90s by Anthony Fauci. I mean, he was obviously it's not a one person person show, but he is the focal point. Of all of that, he's got his fingers in all of that stuff, all the way across the world, yeah. and yeah. so uh, that that, that uh, they're so obvious. Uh, once you have that experience, you see all this stuff. And I swear, when I when I was editing Kennedy's book and looking at going through that, there were two things about it. I mean, it's like re more than two things, but anyway, it was like I was reliving uh, three decades of my life. Wow, uh, go, going through that book. It was one of the most extraordinary things I have ever read, and it was one of the scariest. Absolutely. Depressing, depressing, I guess is what you'd say. But, um, 
you know, I mean, and uh, so anyway, uh, but the, the thing that keeps me going is uh, I'm a fighter. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you sit back, if, if you don't fat, if you don't do something active, uh, you know, you get scared and you, you sort of lose energy and, and, and vigor. Uh, but once you once you get into this thing and you resist it, you meet other people and you have a lot of fun together. And, you, you know, and here in uh, Greensboro, Guilford County, North Carolina, we got the Guilford Patriots here meet a couple of times a month and we do various things. There's Winston-Salem. There's the Robin Hood integrative medical uh, thing. All these doctors that have left all of the uh, the institutional uh, facilities and they band together. Now I think it's uh, 250 50 doctors now that have got together uh, with, with these people that are doing what physicians and, and other healthcare workers are supposed to do, but they're not in these big medical uh, prisons, right? <laughs> you know, uh, concentration camps, which have been turned, the hospitals have been turned into death camps right. uh, throughout the world and, and, and in this country. And these people, though, they're doing it, they're, they're fighting back and uh, treating patients uh, on their own, independent of these places, and it's it it is growing, although not as fast as I'd like to see, but definitely it's it's steadily growing. And uh, the the thing is, is we tried to expose the AIDS uh, phony that the hoax. AIDS was a hoax. I don't mean that people didn't get sick; they did. It turns out, and even the CDC understood this, and they even have it in their documents as early as 1982, the CDC of all places that I don't trust worth a damn. Right. Uh, they actually understood that AIDS was uh, a consequence of chronic drug use, primarily among gay men who started back in the 70s, and they were using, people say, well, heterosexuals use drugs. That's true, they do. But not to the extent that these gay guys did in the 70s up until the mid-80s. They were using drugs at extraordinary uh, levels that nobody had ever seen before. And, of course, the gay drug, as they called it, the, uh, the amyl and butyl nitrite inhalants, yeah, was poppers, why yeah. the, the poppers, yeah, that was, they'd inhale like 15 milliliters of this stuff a night. 15 wow. milliliters of this stuff. I'm a chemist. Uh, I would not op- open a bottle that, of that stuff outside of a fume hood. Uh, <laughs> nitrites, nitrites, the water-soluble type, not the inhalable type, are what they used to put in bacon, you know, as preservative. right. right. And, and nitrites are carcinogenic, and they and the funny thing of it is, is that when they react with your proteins in your body, they they they, they produce what are called nitrosamines, and nitrosamines are all, are more carcinogenic than the nitrites themselves. Wow, you know. So and these guys were inhaling, inhaling this stuff, and that was why they had those purplish blotches in their mouth and on their face and on their hands from all of that uh, exposure to those nitrites, to those poppers over those years. And the gay guys figured it out on them, themselves. I lived in San Francisco during this period. Right. And right. so I got to know a lot, a lot of these gay guys uh, uh, and worked together trying to understand this stuff. And uh, they had figured it out. Uh, and and, the, and the, the AIDS epidemic among these gay men had already peaked, I think it was around 85, maybe 84, something like that. It was already in decline about the time that uh, Anthony Fauci took over, <laughs> you know. And this, the gay men were doing this all, they were figuring it out and resolving this problem all, all on their own. But then the Fauci machine in there with his AZT and the, the cocktails and the, all the PCR tests and all this other sorts of stuff and all the money. It's the money. It's the that money. was the key. 
When you so think it's money. not about the money, it's always about the money, right? It's about the money, you know? And uh, so that went in there and they have these organizations and they keep pushing it and scaring people, especially the gay men, keep scaring them. If you, you don't watch this recent series, the Hulu series, uh, Dope Sick. It's a great series hmm. on Hulu and, and uh, it's about the um, Oxycontin right. and the, uh, uh, the Purdue Chemical Company. It's been in the news, you know, just right. recent years. And uh, it's sort of a dramatization and it's a good one. Uh, of uh, the crooked drug companies. They are crooked. They're all crooked. I was in the pharmaceutical biotech industry for about 20 years. I left it in disgust in 1996. I just had nothing else to do with it. It's a horrible, horrible industry. It needs to be demolished. and anyway, that's 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 another story. I'll shut up again and let you <laughs> pick up somewhere. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... it's- it's interesting, and I don't know that everybody understands that there's this. All this came together kind of at the right time. Anthony Fauci got in in power in '84. I think it was around. I think was it was it '85 that they had started allowing the government guys to take um, uh, royalties off of patent royalties off of work they did oh, yeah. with the government. I, I, so, yeah, I don't know the exact date, but that's right. Now, now. Fauci and anybody that works for him that he's happy with, they can get royalties up to what, one hundred fifty or two hundred fifty thousand a year. I think it's one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, I think it's one hundred fifty thousand for life, right? Yeah, so, for life, something like that. Yeah. And and then they pulled this drug, this out of out of the garbage bin, this AZT, and they started giving yeah. it to people. And then they got sick and died, and they said, "Man, they're dying of AIDS." Like, no, they're dying of the drug that you're giving them. That's right. Just That's like well documented. Just like they did with Remdesivir during COVID yes. here. So, and it's the same company. It's the same uh, company. Uh, I, I mean, uh, it, the ones like uh, there was it was Burl. Uh, let's see, it was Burl's Welcome, then the Glaxo, and then uh, also Gilead. Gilead made the made the Remdesivir, uh, and they also make a lot of uh, uh, AIDS, very toxic AIDS drugs. That's what I meant by the same company. Right. It's these the ones that made the AIDS drugs are making the uh, COVID drugs, uh, uh, and 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 Fauci's pushing them. I mean, you read the book, so you, oh, yeah, you know yeah, that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, keep going. I so, like to hear your story. <laughs> you have a good story to tell. So the so an interesting side effect side uh, side fact is I was watching you know some Saturday Sunday shows my wife had on, and it was you know like one of these cable channels, right? It wasn't like a it wasn't like a main channel. It was something and. And they kept showing over and over and over these drugs. I'm like, what is that? And I kept and I looked at it, and it was one of these drug cocktail drugs for yeah. HIV. And I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, how many people really have HIV that would need to take this drug? You know, yeah. and, and then I thought, are they who are they t- who are they marketing this to? Because because. You know, if you have, if if you think you're sick or whatever, you go to the doctor and the doc. I mean, it's it. So my point of it is, is is this just, is this just the drug companies basically paying off the media? Is this just okay? We got to give the media this much advertising to keep them on our side, and here you go, and they just they just push these drugs that basically people probably don't need. And there's really not that many people that would be taking them. I th- no, but they also pushing it on the doctors too. Right. 
I've so, been doing that. And in fact, and, and, you know, doctors learn almost nothing in medical school about the drugs that they uh, administer. Virtually, uh, pr- pretty close to zero on vaccines. So, doctors learn about drugs from the salesman. I knew that my whole t- my whole oh, yeah, stint yeah. in the pharmaceutical industry. They they don't teach them about this in medical school. They let the drug salesman do that for you. Oh, if the FDA's approved it, all that that's great. All I got to do is learn how to distribute it. You know, three pills of a day or what you know that's basically all it is and uh yeah so that that you, you got it right so what i what i what i've learned in a previous episode of my podcast i it's called the, the uh, institutional control of medicine and i had a, a retired anesthesiologist on there he could finally talk about it right and uh and basically they get dictated by medicare which you know, how they how they treat and what they can treat and what they can do and they can basically only do what the FDA and the CDC tells them to do in the in the protocols and the everything right so they kind of are they go down the checklist and here's what I, here's what I'm allowed to do and I'll go do that but you know that's that's kind of why they can't prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever, because it's not on their list of approved drugs by the CDC. Okay. Let me tell you how this got started from my own personal experience. What I saw back, back in the eighties. Remember that, uh, my red pill moment when none of my friends and colleagues uh, would talk to me right. uh, about, about AIDS. It's, it started even before that, but that's when I personally saw it. And, uh, I lost collaborations with people. I had very, very, my first two um, biotech companies, uh, Enzyme Systems Products and Prototech, they were very, very productive. And I had that for 10 years and, and uh, made, made a, a substantial amount of money for a, a small little operation like that. And uh, in fact, my, my first companies, uh, of course, in the 80s and 90s, it was easy to make money out there in the world. And I was a research laboratory, right. you know. I made these drugs, uh, not drugs. They weren't drugs. These were these were molecules for research purposes, or some we tried to develop for arthritis. That's true with the Marion Laboratories in collaboration with them for arthritis, and uh, but most of them for research research purposes, you know. And uh, but uh, and there was no problem. But then, so I had a lot of success in those days. But then after. I joined up with Professor Peter Duesberg. I left the industry, joined up with Duesberg in 1996. And then he and I uh, had, had written a lot of papers uh, criticizing the uh, contagious HIV hypothesis. You can go to my website, Peter's website, tons of stuff on there. And Peter is a member of the National Academy of Sciences. He was one of the highest, uh, 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 I guess, uh, what do you call it? But he, he, he had these grants from the NIH and other places. I mean, he had the Outstanding Investigators grant that was like seven years, sufficient money for seven years. He wouldn't have to write all, you know, every year, every other year, write for a grant. He would have gotten, he was one of the youngest people uh, elected to the National Academy of Sciences. He would have gotten a, a Nobel Prize had he not spoken out against HIV. And he hasn't had a, uh, a grant uh, funded uh, since the uh, his last one in the 1980s, wow. ran out in the early 90s, hadn't had hadn't had any federal money. He's uh, he's totally uh, uh, been shut down. Uh, you you read a lot about what happened to Peter and right. Fauci. I mean, in Kennedy's book, 
And my every company I've had ever since I was publicly associated with Peter and outspoken about this aid stuff, uh, not one succeeded after that. Wow. Uh, quietly torpedoed, quietly with no explicit, uh, instantly at various points uh, where the money just disappeared. And uh, and it doesn't just hit individuals. Nobody is uh, is safe against the powers out there to stop free open discourse. In 2000, uh, a bunch of us AIDS dissidents uh, were invited by the president of South Africa, President Thabo Mbeki of South Africa. He called me on my cell phone once while I was uh, interviewing uh, uh, back. It was, 19, uh, let's see, about 2000. it was 2000, early 2000, when I started another little biotech company. And I was interviewing a guy, and President Thabo Mbeki called me on my cell phone. <laughs> I didn't even know he had my phone number. Inviting me uh, to join his panel, the AIDS Advisory uh, Panel, uh, to help his country understand this AIDS stuff. Because first, as I said, uh, you know, depends on where you're at. Like Africa, there's different definitions of AIDS in Africa that, than there is in Europe uh, and North America. They, they don't even look any, they don't even overlap. And HIV is not even part of the definition of AIDS in Africa. So uh, Mbeki called this thing for uh, April of uh, 20, uh, uh, 2000. Uh, Two-thirds of the panel were, were uh, professionals, you know, like the government, uh, CDC, uh, NIH, places like that, and around the world, supporters of the contagious HIV hypothesis. One-third of the members were like me, Professor Peter Duesberg, um, uh, a, a lot of people from around the world, physicians, journalists, uh, myself, a scientist with Peter. Peter was invited, and uh, the, I, I've written about this and talked about it. But uh, Clinton, President Clinton, torpedoed that whole effort. Wow. And I'm, I'm not going to take up the time to tell you all the different ways he torpedoed it. Uh, you know, uh, and I've been on air with other places about this. Stuff, but he just totally torpedoed it. So the mainstream people would not participate. They showed up, but they, they, they totally vetoed everything. The South African Broadcasting Corporation had received permission from uh, Mbeki's government to televise live the proceedings. And the mainstream people said, no, they wouldn't participate if that was true. So to keep it from just crashing on day one, they did away with televising. But they did videotape the whole thing. The whole, and there was two separate uh, uh, dates when they when we met. And uh, But but the, the other people just did not participate at all. And, uh, and eventually, uh, Becky was forced out of office towards the end of his second term. <laughs> and uh, so uh, there's uh, – oh, by the way, I should say, uh, when we were there uh, uh, early on, there's this uh, very attractive uh, black American guy there who ingratiated himself with the, with the dissidents. Right. I talked to him. Other people did. Um, Elliot Small. And uh, uh, none of us ever heard of him before or since. And then um, uh, my wife and I actually moved to South Africa in 2005 and six. We were, were working, help supporting a nutrition clinical trial there. My friend, Professor Sam Schlongo, who uh, was the principal investigator on that, he was very, very close to Tabo and Becky. And he told me that the government of South Africa had determined that Elliot Small was a CIA officer. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Big brother's watching. Surprised. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we already knew that, though. Uh, 
uh, one of the things that Clinton that Clinton did, you know, right before the very first day, I will say this part about it. We were just about ready to go, and these uh, three uh, 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 black American physicians, all dressed up, uh, they looked all of them looked about like FBI agents, claiming to be physicians. They walked in there, you know, sat down. Uh, we all had name tags in front of us, but these guys didn't. They sat down, and they were all American. And the people, they just came out of the blue, and it almost emptied, the, stopped the whole proceedings. The people, the, the Africans, the South Africans there, who are these people? You know, where do they come from? You know, why are they here? We don't know who they are. They don't even show, give us their names or anything. It almost came, uh, it crashed down. And then uh, and Becky's, uh, one of his uh, people came in and said, oh, these were, Clinton asked that these people sit in here and observe. All right. So they said, sure, you're welcome. You know, wow. uh, go ahead, sit down. They didn't do anything. But they, I swear, they all look like uh, they're very serious. You know, they didn't talk. They were all dressed up the same. Uh, it hadn't escaped the notice of the, the Africans that these that these were very dark skinned Americans, darker than South Africans. You know, wow. it, you know, and it was like a, a, an affront to them that they were going to. By being black Americans, they would have been simpatico, sort of, with, with the with the South Africans. They saw right through that, you know. And uh, but then, so eventually, uh, that happened. But I tell you what, I think personally uh, that those three guys uh, that were sent there by Clinton were there. They were the eyes. They were the eyes and ears uh, for Clinton. But I think they were also a visible presence of intimidation for the mainstream people there. You know, right. so that none of them, none of them would speak or participate, which they didn't. But I, th- I think, I think that's why, why those those guys were there. And uh, so, anyway, that that that's just one of the things that went on. But there's stuff like this has been going on for years, all the time. And uh, uh, so it's not new with COVID. So those strategies, those strategies, nobody is safe. We all have big targets on us. Robert S. Kennedy's got a uh, bullseye on this back the size of Texas. You know, right. he knows it. And everybody else knows it. You know, I'm sure I do. I'm sure Celia Farber does. Uh, you may. <laughs> if you start, <laughs> That's if you, okay. If you have, I'm all right. If you, you keep speaking, uh, you know, you know uh, uh, open. You know, we outnumber them. That's basically it. The more of us there are, the better. I'll let you pick it up from there. Yeah. You know, I, I just, um, it's interesting, you know, I think there was a there was a lot, there was a big body of work that you guys did over the, over the forty years of you know articles and writing about this and and of course it was kind of hidden in plain sight it was out there on the internet I could I had just had to do a little digging and I found it you know it wasn't yeah. I found a whole bunch of stuff and I've watched a bunch of videos and read a bunch of articles and you know I'm like wow how how did this how did this sit here like this you know and then then you see what happened with COVID. And you realize, oh, that's just, you know, it's this suppression thing that's going on. And how much how much suppression and lying and twisting of data can you do for billions and billions of dollars? Well, you can do a lot. <laughs> you can pay a lot of people right. off and you can, you can you know, if, if, if uh, uh, some Pfizer is the number one advertiser for some, say, CNN, and they call up and say, hey, we need you to quit talking about that. You know, we're going to pull our ads and you know, they, I'm sure they don't say it exactly like that, but 
people understand they that. They don't have to. They don't have 70, to, right? 70% for decades, Lord, even before this COVID stuff, 70% of uh, media, their, their uh, proceeds, uh, their income comes from the pharmaceutical industry, 70%. Right. All right. That's all you have to know. They don't have to say a word that their money is doing the talking. They say, oh, here's my money. You want to keep it? <laughs> you know, which is implied. And that's, that's been around with the AIDS stuff. That's why the AIDS stuff was so shut down. Everywhere Peter Duesberg was invited to go, all the, the huge, big shot mainstream media places, every time he went to one of these places, it was shut down. Right. Either hours before he was supposed to go on the program or, you know, just any time. And they could not allow him to uh, have access to the public. And um, hey, there, and it worked. Hey, there, there's a uh, pretty good Joe Rogan podcast with Peter Duesberg from several years ago. Yeah, I know it very well. Yeah, and it, and it's still out there. You can find it because I. Yeah. But, but it's not you know it's not easy to find. But I was able to dig it up yeah. and listen to it and mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, Peter was a very very smart guy and he's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so we have we have a disease that you can't see on a microscope, right? You can't, there's no pictures of it. Yeah. It's not like Ebola yeah. where they say, here's the Ebola virus, and there's a picture you yeah. see all the time. Yeah. All they have, all you have is a bunch of proteins, and you say, this list of proteins is, is, a, is a disease, which it's just a list of, it's really just a bunch of proteins. You don't really know where they came from, right? That's right. That's and, right. and you have, you have a, you have a virus that's supposed to spread, you know, with sex, and it hasn't done that. I mean, in 40 years, it's basically flat. I mean, coming down out of the mid-90s, it's basically flattened out. And from what I've seen, it hasn't done anything in the last 40 years. It's been a flat line for the most part. So, Yeah, I'm getting a beeping here. It looks like uh, I, I, you cut out every now and Oh, good. It finally stopped. Somebody's oh. trying to call me, and I oh. didn't <laughs> So I, I think I got every other word. Okay. <laughs> what was it that, that Well, I was I was just so you know when I look at you know one of the things I've done through my career is as I've I'm a, I've looked at da- I'm a data analyst, right? I'd look at right at military hardware and radars and systems and analyze the data and you know you can you can look at data, you can look at it from the bottom up, you know, I can go look at right. these little proteins and these whatever or I can look at it from top yeah. down. Like what's the macro yeah. view, right? Yeah. And if I look at this macro view I mean, and you don't have to be a engineer or a scientist to, to look at the macro view and go like, well, if it's so infectious, where is it? You know, how come right. how come it's not in 40 years? How come it hasn't wiped out half of the East Coast, West yeah. Coast, whatever, right? So It's just common sense. But right. At that macro level, it's basically you compare what you're being told with your experience up to that point. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And, it you know, that doesn't make any sense, right? So. So you, you think, well, you know, so you, you can just go down that list of, of questions and and it fails all of them, right? So if yeah, it does, every one, every, every one, one of them, every one of them, you know, mm-hmm. if it's supposedly spread by heterosexual sex, then how come, you know, husband and wives and prostitutes and, and whatever, they don't spread it, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's right. That That's what Pablo and Becky is about, the president of South Africa. He was very aware of that. Uh, I got a bunch of that on my website about South Africa, about Tabo and Becky and all that stuff on there. That's why he called that conference. Right. You know, uh, it, uh, uh, AIDS in the United States and Europe was a disease of gay men and IV drug users. AIDS in Africa was uh, 
uh, Africans uh, heterosexually transmitted, not in the USA, but in Africa. Right. You know, how can that be? You know, my little thing about that's a very smart virus that knows where you are, who you are, and where you are. Yeah, and and then and then there's things that you once you know and you understand, you start piecing together. I was I was I think it was on the CDC website or maybe it was the Alabama website, and it talked about the largest growing number of people in the HIV positive community was 65 plus. And I'm like, well, you know what? Because they're getting old. They're the same people. They're just getting old. They're living, they're living 30 years. I didn't see that. Yeah. And I, you know, I believe it. I believe it. And I saw a picture of, uh, of, uh, um, uh, magic Johnson at the Super Bowl. I'm like, he had, yeah. he had HIV 30 years ago, 30 years ago. And he's just fine. He's just fine. So, yeah. and I'm sure he's not taking any of the drugs either. I, I, I would guarantee that. So, yeah, no, but yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, the, but you know, the uh, nobody was HIV positive. Nobody ever was. Right. There, you know, and I, let me. One of the ways we won, we won about fifty-five court cases across the United States uh, in the nineties and first first part of the two thousand. The, e- the easy to do. Most most states in the United States have felony laws uh, 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 for people who uh, expose somebody to HIV without telling them, without letting them know it. You know, right. felony felony laws. Uh, and um, so uh, we we had this organization. We'd go around the country uh, and even Canada and other places. Office of Medical and Scientific Justice. And we had a team of lawyers, physicians, scientists, and uh, we won, I think it's 55, 55 cases. Most of them didn't even go to trial. All we had to do in most cases was just pull out the inserts that come with the the antibody test, the Western blot test, or the viral load test. And they would tell you right in there, it would say something like, uh, they might say its sensitivity and specificity is 95%, 99%, stuff like that. But then they right under the line, they'd say, uh, but uh, you cannot use uh, this test uh, to diagnose somebody with AIDS or even being infected with HIV or for the, you know, or for the presence of HIV. And the reason is, is because there's no recognized reference standard. That's in the HIV test. Right. And the PCR test does the same thing. You know, you cannot use it to diagnose the presence of HIV at the, uh, or, or somebody with AIDS with that. And that usually people would, would uh, uh, you know, win the case right there without even going to court based on the package insert. Sometimes that wouldn't be enough. We'd have to go in and testify and swear and do all that sort of stuff in there. And we won most of them. In fact, one of our most important, our biggest cases was in the, the military, the Air Force. I can't remember the guy's name. He was a sergeant in the Air Force. And uh, we lost the case uh, originally. They, uh, uh, he was charged with uh, exposing somebody to HIV. And, uh, and, and we didn't win it. But we did, ultimately. It went to the, high, the second highest court in the land. The, the highest court is the Supreme Court. And this was in the military. And they overturned it. And, and they changed military law. Wow. Now, the, everybody, people in the military are going through holy hell with the COVID restrictions. But guess what? If you're if if you're HIV positive or anything, the law you cannot be uh, convicted of anything in the military has anything to do with HIV. 
And that never, I remember when we won that big case, uh, I said, you don't see it on CNN or anything. Kept quiet, totally, totally quiet. But the the military people are the only ones now in, in, in the United States that cannot be charged with an HIV crime. You know, I, I think they still test those guys. Every two years, you have to take an HIV test. I'm sure that's fine. I mean, I'm sure they do it. They can't, they can't charge them with a the felony. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, and I'm like, well, what are you testing? Because, I mean, after, after you know, listening to you and reading, and I'm like, there's really, what's the standard? It's like, money. Yeah. It's so, money. Yeah. It's money. It's to keep people in, in practice, get used to taking these damn things. Money. And you were talking about billions. No, we're talking about trillions of dollars are involved in all this stuff. Oh, yeah. So trillions. over the course of HIV, yeah. HIV alone, HIV alone is, oh, best estimate I've seen is already over $2 trillion. So, I mean, you know, you have a, let's say you're an academic, you're in XYZ University, and you're off studying some little thing, and you've got a, you've got a grant to go do this, or you've got funding from some pharmaceutical company, you're for sure not going to throw up the red flag and say this is total right. BS because, that's right. you know, you want to feed All your kids. Them. You want to feed your kids, right? And you want that, to. That's why academics are silent. Exactly. Academics are silent because they're bought. Exactly. Yep. They can't get any grants. They can't get published. I mean, a lot of our papers, you know, like Peter couldn't, has not had another grant. Uh, they, they shut a whole school down. You know, if it, let's say a college or university decided, you know, to uh, speak out, uh, they could shut the whole university down. There, there's so much money that goes to the academics and to these different departments. You know, this it's political, political money, and uh, this pressure comes from on high at every level. This is decades in the making, and and, and that's why. The academics are such cowards. Right. They, 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 that's what, why there were cowards in the 1980s when they wouldn't talk about the HIV. Now it's global. That's crazy. And they're I, all, I, and they're I, all bought. They're all co-conspirators, not in their heart, right. but cowardly. Right. You know, there's, there's like people that stand by and keep their mouth shut when they witness a homicide. Right. It's, it's just... <laughs> It's just like the stupid mask mask thing that that the CDC continues to promote, which they know does absolutely nothing, but they won't back off on it either because they just want people to, you know, they just want to edict something and put an edict out there and make people do stuff or or virtue signal or whatever, but. The masks have never done anything. They know it never done anything. Never. I mean, I knew that. I'm again. That was one yeah. of those. That was one of those micro macro things, right? So you can go look yeah. at it and say, "How big's a virus particle? How big is the weave in one of these I cotton know. masks?" Yeah. Or That's you can. Right. Or you can also go look at the macro and go like, "Okay, here's the number of cases per day. Here's the plot. Show me on this where the mask mandate went in." And you know, you can make the argument. Well, people didn't wear the mask, right? Well. That's part of it. <laughs> so if you can't, even if they did work and they don't wear it right, they don't work. So you know, anyways, it's uh, it's crazy. But, well, everything the, the big picture, the the global thing. I don't mean necessarily global and the planet, but all you take all of the information that you, the things that you've been, everybody's been facing on a daily basis. You know, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. You know, so quit trying to find sense into it. Right. It is intentional. 
the goal is, the goal is, it's very clear, it, it was clear in, in 2020, the goal is to, it, it, it is to demolish all of society. You know, that phrase, build back better, you know? What is it when you go in urban renewal or whatever? What do you do? You go and you take bulldozers, you knock everything down, then you go in there with your money and build up something really fancy. That's this is what's being done right there now on a global scale, but without obviously saying it. It's right. just happening. I mean, the second half of this year is going to be really, really bad. The the uh, the markets are probably going to crash. Inflation's going to just spiral, probably even higher than we may have ever seen it in history. Uh, one of the estimate is before this year is over, one to two billion people, probably in places like India and Africa, places like that, are going to starve to death. It would not have starved to death. And that's coming from inflation, from the, uh, the disruption of supply chain. And it's just gonna, it's gonna go through, across the whole world. That's gonna hit the poorest people first. In the most massive places first. It's coming to the United States, folks. It's coming here. Right. Uh, this uh, this Christmas, this coming Christmas, you know, is going to be a nightmare. Based on, and I don't mean starting then. The projections are is that the third and fourth quarter of 2022. This is a very very crucial year for these these totalitarians. It is very very crucial. They're already behind the scenes. You know, they talk about this. You know, oh, they've re- uh, done away with the mandates and everything. People just get to relax a little bit and go about their lives. All while people are doing that, guess what's going on behind the scenes? Here in North Carolina, the governor here, uh, ca- uh, California, New York, uh, Louisiana. I don't even know all the states, but these are just the ones I know for a fact. Are trying to, they're trying to pre- pass dr- dr- draconian laws. I mean, totalitarian laws. If they... If they do pass these things, like California, if they don't stop it, it you know, it, this month, uh, it's going to be a totalitarian state, California is. And, and as uh, uh, Newsom, the, the governor says, as California goes, so does the country. That's been true for decades. Whatever starts, whatever passes through the whole country generally starts in California first. Right. And uh, so, I mean, that this is. People aren't aware of this, you know, because if they go, it's quiet. But that's what's going on behind the scenes. And there's a huge, huge, huge demonstration scheduled for uh, uh, April 10th in Los Angeles uh, to fight these things. I think it's 11 bills, 10 or 11 bills in, in uh, California that they uh, that, that would just turn the place into Venezuela or Cuba or someplace like that, you know. Right. And um uh, and some really bad ones. There's some here in North Carolina where I am, you know. And but you got to watch out where wherever it is. And we have to fight fight this stuff locally. That's uh, what I've been doing here, God, since like I say, since 2020. And now with the Guilford Patriots, it took me about a year and a half to find this this group of people. And um, uh, you know, so we're we're going to have to fight. I mean, one of the things that. Uh, We've done. We've, uh, my wife and I, we're now part of the uh, triad. That's what they call it around here for, for the Piedmont, three three different cities. The triad, the triad uh, garden and food co-op. Hmm. And we, we, my wife, Bill, she she's grows every year, really big garden, and I'm the cook. I cook it. She grows <laughs> it, and and, uh, and uh, I help with the heavy stuff here right. and there. But she really, she engineers it, designs it, plants it, all that, and. Um, 
but then we we it's not just food that's part of it we get together and we share expertise we have our own little it's not a website i forget what you call this little internet tool here you see all these different columns of who has what who what skills they can do what's going on what's available you can trade things uh, uh pay cash or however you want to, to do this stuff and uh money's going to be worthless who knows when i mean uh Amer u.s dollars are going to be just totally absolutely worthless I don't know if it's going to be next year or what, but you know, the inflation this year is going to really spiral in the second half of this year. I, I went to buy uh, a little uh, uh, L, a little metal L for uh, electrical conduit. It was used to be like about a buck. It was eight dollars and seventy cents yesterday, and I said I'm going to money on that thing. All right, and it's just going to keep going up like that. You know, food is just going outrageous, and the shelves are getting you know barren. I have to go to whenever I go food shopping, I tend to go to at least two, maybe three different stores until I can find what's on my list, wow. <laughs> you know, and uh, it, but it's going to get a lot worse, a lot worse. And uh, when, you know, we and it's kind of almost too late for people to prepare if, if this is the first time they're becoming aware of it. Uh, but don't give up. The best way <laughs> to prepare is to make friends. Right. Make friends, make friends and share stuff together, like your community. Thank goodness I'm back in the South where neighborhoods actually have kids that play out, you know, out in the front yards right. and out in the streets together. When I left Georgia for Chicago in 1978, that's the last time I saw kids playing in the neighborhood, you know. I mean, out, out in the, where they, like we did in Georgia where I grew up. And then went to California, same thing. Then they'll get, when we moved here in 2017 from California, I said, God, you know, I love this place. The kids, <laughs> they're out in the, out together. The neighborhood kids are out here playing and they still do, right. you know, that's life. That's, that's the good life right here. So I think that may be, that may be typical of the South. I've done some cross country driving around here uh, recently and North going up to South Dakota and California to go back there to where we, um, still have a house out there, pick up our stuff and bring it back here. There's no, there's no doubt about it. The, the, the states uh, south of Interstate 40 are definitely uh, much better in the sense of uh, being human, rational. Uh, your freedoms are still largely intact. It varies from state to state. But North Carolina is not one of those. North Carolina uh, is more or less like... Um, Southern California, the L.A. area, right. which is not good, but the Bay Area is, it reminds me of Vichy, France during Nazi occupation. I mean, so many people have left that area. There are no U-Hauls anymore. Wow. We try to get some U-Hauls there. And, and there's no, there's no uh, traffic jams in the Bay Bridge. In all the decades that we lived in the, in the Bay Area there, there's always in the afternoon and the morning uh, backups, you know, traffic jams on the Bay Bridge. Nope, it's gone. They don't have them anymore. And the people are like zombies, the ones that are left. Uh, you don't see people smiling and uh, laughing. Uh, you cannot, if, if you're in Berkeley or San Francisco, you have to have proof of being injected with those poisons. And, um, uh, and so, and there, and the, the, the books, I mean, the, 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 um, legislation that uh, trying to uh, uh, vote in in California would, you know, bring all that stuff throughout the whole state. And um, so it's we're in dire situation, folks, um, and we're going to have to each every one of us uh, that still has a few brain cells working are going to have to uh, 
of join up with other folks and fight back right. peacefully. Peacefully right. is the only way it's going to work. Right. Well, Dr. Rising, I really appreciate your time. This has been a really good discussion. Um, I, I don't want to keep you any longer. I've, we've been on here about an hour, and I might have to have you back. We might have to con- continue I, I, more. I enjoy it. I enjoy, I enjoy talking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. So. Good, good person. So, yeah. So Yeah, I, I'll be happy to do it, man. And the right. uh, kind of feedback you get. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll try to get you back on again sometime. So thanks again. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Once again, I encourage you to dive in further. I will post a link to my Substack in the show notes with several resources for further research. Feel free to leave me a comment there. My intent moving forward is to link the Substack to the podcast. So you, if you subscribe to the Substack, you'll get an email from my Substack and know there's new content and you can give me feedback. So thanks for listening. Please remember to review, subscribe and rate the channel. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Facts for What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.